This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Miss the show? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. Canada's former top soldier now facing an unprecedented investigation into these allegations of inappropriate sexual relationships with women under his tenure at his watch. Mercedes Stevenson is going to break down the implications and where this could take us. We'll talk to one of the officers involved in a rescue of two hikers who walked out onto the ice and then floated three kilometers from the shore into Georgian Bay. And Canada and Australia team up to force digital platforms to pay for news content. They're now taken for free. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Are you listening? Vehicle traveling northbound, which means it's coming away from the Pacific Palisades area. Something obviously happened where the driver lost control. The driver later identified as Tiger Woods. Vehicle slammed up the hill. Uh, you can see several parts of that vehicle just ripped apart when fire crews got up on scene. They had to use the jaws of life to get the driver out again, later identified as Tiger Woods, who has since been taken to a hospital. Maybe a great golfer, but Tiger Woods driving, ooh, yikes, leaves little to be desired, and he is lucky to be alive. Big story of the hour coming out of the sports world, as you've been hearing about this uh, news that Tiger Woods suffered uh, severe leg injuries after crashing his SUV, which flew off a road as he was driving in uh, Rancho Palos Verde. This is near L.A. It was a single vehicle accident, and cops do say... Um, that he was driving at a high rate of speed, lost control going around a corner, ended up rolling his SUV several times, and then hit a tree, which explains when you see the pictures why the front of his vehicle is literally gone. And um, Woods was said to be conscious when rescue got to him. They say um, in a recent update that they did not have to remove him with the jaws of life, but he's now in surgery for these injuries to both of his legs. He's got a shattered ankle and a compound fracture to the other leg. So what this means for his career is anybody's guess, but when you see that wreckage, you know, you got to just understand. He's pretty lucky to be alive, and this is what the sheriffs are saying. He was alive, and he was, he was conscious, and um, that's the extent of that. There was no evidence of impairment, so subsequent to that, we're not going to make any, uh, there was no effort to draw um, blood, for example, at the hospital. So that is the latest from the L.A. County Sheriff, uh, who just updated the situation a few minutes ago. They didn't actually give a lot of details, likely because of who this is, but I do find it odd that no blood was actually drawn to see if uh, maybe opiates uh, may have played a role because Woods does have an, a history of you know issues with pharmaceutical drugs. And he just had back surgery back in December, his fifth surgery since 2017, and he was still recovering from that. And um, he was in that area because he had just finished hosting 
the Genesis tournament over the weekend, and then he stuck around. He was filming with uh, Golf TV. He was giving some celebrity golf lessons. But, you know, the Masters is just a couple of weeks away, and a lot of people, he, in fact, wanted to play. That was the plan. And so that could be off the table. I mean, let alone his whole career now being in question. It's certainly no secret to anyone that uh, Tiger Woods has struggled over the years, certainly with his health. He, uh, however, has made these remarkable comebacks. I mean, remarkable. And um, a lot of uh, people say, you know, he's one of the great, not just one of the greatest golfers of all time, but but has made one of the greatest sports comebacks. You know, uh, what, he's won five Masters? His last title back in 2019, not so long ago. So we're going to continue updating and we'll keep talking about this because it's a, a story continuing to develop very quickly here. And um, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what's next, what could happen. He's not, he's not a baby anymore. He's not a kid. So these injuries are certainly not something he's just going to, um, you know, get out of hospital and walk away. It's going to take a lot of rehab and, and who knows if he's damaged his back any further. The um, other big story here, of course, in Canada is uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau had their first bilateral meeting late today. And li- like, listen, Trudeau literally was unable to contain his glee or his uh, virtue signaling. We're also going to talk about climate change. And, and thank you again for stepping up in such a big way uh, on uh, tackling climate change. Uh, U.S. leadership has been sorely missed uh, over the past uh, past years, and I, I have to say, as uh, as we are uh, preparing the, uh, uh, the the joint uh, rollout and communicate from this one, it's nice uh, when the Americans are not pulling out all references to climate change and instead adding them in. So uh, we're really excited to uh, to be working with you on uh, on that. Lots uh, lots more to do. God, it's embarrassing. Honestly, it's embarrassing. Like he's literally he's like, oh my god, I'm so excited. He's like a fangirl. Jeez. And it's tradition. Look, Canada and the U.S. have a first meeting after a new president is voted in. It didn't happen with Trump. Um, but Trudeau made very clear, as you just heard, how excited he was. So excited because he can now talk about his obsession, which, of course, Biden shares. And so they have both put uh, climate change at the top of the list of priorities. And literally, I mean, the meeting just kind of seemed like this big old virtue signaling dream and, and the big Important topics laid out, uh, diversity inclusion, climate change, building back better. I mean, honestly, it, it, I found it a bit odd. I mean, I just did. And I, I'd like to know, what did he actually get out of the meeting? Because climate change is not actually a top priority right now. It's certainly recovery of the pandemic, which is something they also discussed. But he certainly didn't bust Biden's chops about, you know, canceling Keystone. I'd like to know, you know, did you get Biden to remove the steel tariffs or maybe scrap uh, the Buy American provisions? You know, did he get a guarantee that Enbridge Line 5 will not be canceled? I, I probably I doubt any of that stuff was brought up. And I know a lot of Canadians think reading of Trump is great news for Canada. But other than a nicer tone, Biden's every bit a protectionist that Trump was. And then I heard this comment. Um, I think Biden said it earlier today or yesterday, but one thing Biden and Trudeau have in, sh- in, in common is their language and spin doctors. America is back. I speak today as president of the United States at the very start of my administration, and I'm sending a clear message to the world. America is back. Sunny way! Sunny way! Good God. I mean, <laughs> have you ever noticed how similar 
their talking points are. It's like a, sunny pro- waves, a progressive my friends. Yeah, sunny franchise. Waves. Not so much. Um, I mean, they've got the same virtue signaling, same talking points, same beliefs. And we're going to go through what this meeting means a little bit later in the show. But one thing that likely came up was the issue of vaccines, which we don't have. And I'm sure Trudeau kind of nudged Biden, you know, can you maybe give us a few million doses? And that won't happen. Um, you know, and, I, and, and Canadians like to wag their finger of judgment at our neighbors. And we're no one to judge them these days because America's vaccinating. Get this. 1.37 million people a day. That is more than what we have done since December. And by March, they'll have 150 million Americans vaccinated. And when you compare that to Canada, we will have vaccinated a whopping 4 million people. Think about that. 4 million by the time they've done almost half the country. And that is assuming we get the vaccines. And I know everyone's really excited because, oh, wow, we're getting a couple of hundred thousand doses in the next week or so. Well, I'm sorry, that's pathetic. America vaccinates more people by lunchtime than we can in a few weeks. And that's because, of course, they didn't rely on anybody. And I know a lot of people hate Trump, but at least he had the forethought to invest in early uh, domestic manufacturing. And now they are heading for freedom in a matter of three months and we will still be waiting. And that's that's Trudeau's fault. You know, he had options. And he chose all the wrong ones. You know, he he naively chose to deal with China and then uh, decided to buy vi- you know billions of vaccines produced in Europe that are now delayed. All this time, of course, the US, UK, EU, India, they all invested in domestic production. They took those risks and now they're all getting vaccines. And it didn't get a lot of coverage, but on Monday, a uh, health committee reveals, you know, we had plenty of homegrown vaccine solutions, and none were given serious consideration by this government. There were 24 Canadian vaccine proposals, and the Trudeau government could have invested in any of them and, and didn't. Instead, sprinkled around a few million, but put billions and billions into these risky international deals, which explains why we're now ranked 43rd in the world for vaccines. We are now behind Estonia and Poland. That's how pathetic it is. And then, of course, the committee also heard from the very people, the very people who successfully developed things like a vaccine for Ebola or the Zika virus. And what did the Trudeau government do? They hummed, they hawed, they dragged their feet, and then uh, said, yeah, no, thanks. And I know a lot of people are excited because all we keep hearing is that AstraZeneca will be approved any day. We've been hearing that now for a while. Well, what's the holdup? I mean, Health Canada has now been examining this widely used vaccine for almost six months. But you got to read the fine print on this, even if it's approved. Like if it gets approved tomorrow, we don't have the vaccine here to deliver. Great, we get it approved. We have no vaccines. Still the same situation. Stay tuned. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio. What is the reason why Kelly Brennan wants Canadians to hear your side of the story? Because I'm allowed now. I've been given permission. And it was a hard thing to get because I didn't even know how to get that permission. I tried. I asked my chain of command for permission to speak. And I was listened to a whole range of reasons why I should and shouldn't. And then 
uh, ADMPA. I don't remember her name. Mm-hmm. The, but top, I do. the top civilian for media relations at national events. Right. Um, I can just remember her voice on the phone. And I said to her, can I speak? And she said to me, and she used my name. She called me Kelly. And she said, Kelly, you can speak. And this uncontrollable gasp came out of me. And I said, oh, because I was no longer under his command. Well, that is the uh, voice of Major Kelly Brennan, who broke her silence with West Block host Mercedes Stevenson over the weekend. And holy Toledo, what an explosive story she's uh, telling. And uh, she's broken her silence to speak to the allegations Global News broke involving these unproved claims of an inappropriate relationship with now former military chief general Jonathan Vance uh, when she was a female subordinate and he was the top military boss. And of course, at a time when Vance was the boss uh, trying to clean up sexual misconduct in the military. And Brennan says, yes, her relationship was consensual with Vance, but alleges that it did hold her back in her career. And she also alleges that he didn't act on a sexual assault she suffered with another officer that Vance allegedly told her to lie about and not talk about and certainly not talk about any of this information once Global exposed it. Now Global is reporting that this unprecedented probe is going to be launched into this to find out who knew what and when. Mercedes Stevenson, host of the West Block and Ottawa Bureau Chief, joining us now. And uh, it was a 23-minute interview. My jaw was on the floor. Uh, It was a consensual relationship. But maybe you can just explain, uh, because I know you have a lot of uh, depth when it comes to military reporting. Why would this be wrong if it was consensual? Mm -hmm. Well, and it wasn't when it first started. So it it started out when I believe she was a lieutenant. He was a lieutenant colonel, which is a significant rank difference. They were at the same base. So there was no command relationship. When it becomes a problem in the military and when it's actually against the rules and people have been charged for this. I remember Dan Menard getting pulled out of Afghanistan, the general uh, who was having uh, an affair with his subordinate officer. You can't do that. And and the reason why is because they call it contrary to to good order and good discipline in the National Defense Act. That's where the charge comes from. And their policies are very explicit. If you have a personal relationship romantic relationship, an intimate relationship with somebody in your chain of command, you have to declare it and they right away are going to move one of you um, or you just can't have it. And that's because the military has such total control. I mean, even in civilian workplaces, bosses are not supposed to be having a relationship with someone who reports to them, uh, whose career they control, who they could either advantage or disadvantage, depending on what happens with the relationship. Well, with the military, it's such a team sport and there's such total command and control in a commanding officer that for a commanding officer to be having a relationship with a subordinate is a massive power imbalance. This is an institution that goes to war. You do not want people in the same chain of command who could be in a war zone together um, right. because it's, it's dangerous. Um, and so that's why this is not only the Canadian military. This is militaries all around the world. You cannot date somebody who reports to you. You cannot sleep with somebody who reports to you. It is against the rules. If it happens, you have to declare it so that they know about it. The other issue is if it's happening uh, and it's happening on the down low with somebody who is in a very senior position, it can create a national security risk for blackmail. That happened with David Petraeus in the U.S. And that was one Mm -hmm, of the concerns. mm -hmm. And we haven't really gone down that road yet. Uh, But a lot of the experts we've talked to have said, like, there's a whole other risk here. In addition to the against the rules, 
if this was happening, what uh, Major Brennan is alleging, that creates a risk for blackmail for the chief of the defense staff. Wow. Okay. Next question. Uh, so <laughs> this is crazy. Um, there isn't a separate investigation. So the Canadian Forces National Investigation Services has already been looking into other um, election or, uh, uh, you know, allegations against Vance. But this is an external probe that you say has been launched and you call it unprecedented. And this is to find out who's complicit. Who knew what? Is this just in military ranks or are we also talking about the federal government? Because, as you well know, he was appointed under the Harper government, but he worked under the Trudeau government. And these, um, you know, complaints or rumors got to Harjit Sajjan. And he, of course, said he put it up the ranks. So where does this probe then take us? So there's sort of I'd start with the appointment of the government and, and who might have known. Um, in 2015, there was a police investigation into John Vance on allegations of an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate. That woman is now his wife. Um, that investigation, we don't know what it found other than they didn't lay charges. It has not been released. We're in the process of trying to have that investigation released to us. I have been told by former Lieutenant General Mike Day uh, who replaced Vance in Naples and who was the commander of JTF2 and all of Canada's special forces, that neither he nor nobody on his staff who had worked for Vance at the time were interviewed by the police. So there's some questions about how much they really looked. But the Conservative government knew that these allegations had been made. Uh, and I've talked to people who were involved in the decision making, and they essentially said because he married the woman, they put it aside. But they didn't stop and look to see, might there be a broader pattern of behavior with female subordinates? Right. So 2018 rolls around, the military ombudsman comes to, um, to the Minister of National Defense, Harjit Sajjan, and he tells him that there are allegations and concerns about Vance's activities. Sajjan's office emails the Privy Council office, and that's the extent of it. Nobody does anything because they say, well, there's no complainant, no official complaint. Um, the military ombudsman can't release people's names. They wouldn't come to him if he did without their permission. And the woman in this particular case uh, did not want her name released. She is also still actively serving in the military and was very concerned about how it would affect her career. So nothing ends up getting done. And that's the case where he emailed a young female corporal who he had invited to come to him for career advice and mm. then suggested that they go to a clothing optional beach. Um, uh, sort of out of nowhere. And we have seen this email chain. Uh, so we we know what's in it. And it, we can't prove he wrote the email, but it came off of his military account when he was a major general. So th this warning goes up the chain. Nothing gets done. Um, I was talking to people in December. They were telling me they'd heard all these rumors, but nobody had really done anything. Uh, and this all kind of exploded out when I started getting women who would actually talk to us about what had happened. And you have Major Brennan there on the record. So that's led to this probe. Uh, the probe yeah. was announced when we first broke the story three weeks ago. They're still figuring it out. They haven't actually launched it yet. But after what we reported on Sunday with Major Brennan, they have decided to expand the terms of reference. So it's no longer going to be just looking at what John Vance is alleged to have done. It's going to look at who else was involved. And one senior source said to me, John Vance was allowed to happen. How? Well, yeah. So they how? want to know who else, who else knew about this. And beyond that, Alex, is this a more systemic problem of senior officers in the Canadian forces where they're punishing corporals, they're punishing, you know, lieutenants, lower ranks for, for saying things when they're drunk in a mess, which are unacceptable and you can be kicked out of the military for it. But 
holding themselves potentially to a different standard. And that's one of the questions they're asking now. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty staggering that he would get the appointment in 2015, given that there were these rumors and and allegations kind of circling. But then, of course, if this went up the chain of command and if, let's say, Harjan Sajjan knew as far back as 2018 allegations of, of, you know, rape had happened uh, under Vance's watch and nothing was acted upon. um, It's pretty clear there, Alex, I should say, I, I don't think that he was aware of the allegations about the rape. Okay. Um, it was the, the specific ones I know the ombudsman knew about was the corporal in the email that I, I know was what the military ombudsman brought to him. I, I don't know the details he gave, but that was the concern in part that prompted the ombudsman to act. Right. But certainly it may have started under the Harper government, but that it might have been allowed to continue um, when cabinet members of this government, uh, current government knew um, it's not a good look. And certainly there will be explaining to do. So what is at at stake here? Is it a police investigation? Is it getting uh, Vance, you know, um, you know, stripped of all his accolades? What is the um, possible outcome of something like this probe? So there's a few outcomes. Um, The probe, first of all, uh, we'll see what it finds about General Vance. Um, There's broader institutional implications for this probe. And uh, if if you could see my inbox right now, it would break your heart with the stories of women um, that Operation Honor um, may have improved things, but it certainly is far from stamping out sexual misconduct in the Canadian forces based on the emails that I am getting Uh, from women. So it's really highlighted the question of, you know, this is an institution that is committed to do better. Um, It doesn't seem like that's happening. Why not? Um, So I think you're going to see questions about how the institution doesn't just talk the talk, but actually starts to walk the walk where women can be treated professionally in a workplace and as equals, uh, and not come to work afraid that their boss is going to hit on them, or their colleague is going to hit on them. Uh, or, or, you know, sexually assault them. I mean, this is a very serious issue. Beyond that, there is the police investigation. And there's more than one police investigation now. There's one into the allegations against General Vance. And they may or may not be reopening that investigation from 2015 as well of those allegations. So they're taking a pretty broad view of, of the allegations uh, against General Vance. In addition to that, after our interview with Major Brennan, they are also going to be opening uh, a sexual assault um, investigation in terms of that that sexual assault, violent sexual assault at Wainwright. Uh, and there is also likely going to be an investigation into one of her former commanding officers who she said asked her for sex. She says she told that to John Vance and that this former commanding officer was promoted instead of punished. So safe to say, stay tuned. I mean, this is an incredibly layered story. And when I look at the timeline um, and, um, and I think of Vice Admiral Mark Norman and what he went through uh, under General Vance, who is his superior. And I think, my God, all of this stuff going on and all the while, all these allegations are, are piling up. And it's, uh, well, let's just say there's a lot of interesting stuff behind the scenes that has yet to come out. But I appreciate you for breaking it down because uh, obviously there's a lot more to come. Mercedes, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Mercedes Stevenson, and this is a hell of an exclusive story, and uh, stay tuned because I I get the sense that there's a lot more coming out, but certainly uh, pretty staggering. If you have yet to see that interview, it is worth your time in watching. Stay with us here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Okay, how are you guys doing? Um, Just waiting. Yeah, okay. We were kind of panicking because the water came in so fast. Yeah. Yeah, so now we sat down so that hopefully mm-hmm. our weight lower will help. 
or didn't know what to do. So yeah. we kind of were looking around at us and realized how fast it was filling in between the shore and us. Yeah, yeah. And then we knew we needed help. Yeah. There you go. Man, cool as a cucumber, I'd say. I'd be uh, losing my marbles. But that was the sounds of an... OPP call uh, near Tobermory uh, with two hikers, as you heard one of them there, who ended up on the Bruce Peninsula. They were in the National Park, walked on to Cypress Lake, and then the ice gave way as they were walking, and they ended up drifting three kilometers out into Georgian Bay. And what happened next is that a JRCC Hercules aircraft ended up locating those two people, circled above them, monitored the situation from the air. And as you see these hikers sitting on the ice huddled together, the chopper hovers over and does this daring rescue, yeah, bringing both of these uh, hikers to shore safely. And one of those people involved in this particular uh, operation, Major Stephen McAlpine, I hope I'm saying that right, aircraft commander of the C-130 Hercules. He joins me now. Thank you for joining us, Major. Uh, well, thank you for having me, Alex. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you for taking an interest in search and rescue. Well, you know, it, it kind of does happen around this time of year when we're in this time where the ice can break away. We've seen it with ice fishermen and uh, where, where they get on the ice and then it breaks away. But when you see the pictures of these two hikers sitting in the middle of this kind of ice, piece of ice floating away, I mean, they were in a lot of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first I've heard uh, of the clip. Uh, I'm sure it must have been a harrowing experience. Uh, when we arrived on scene, uh, it, it was a, a rather large ice float, and they, they were quite a distance away from shore. Uh, luckily, my uh, search and rescue technician spotted them uh, after our second pass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the police helicopter did all the hard work from there. Well, luckily their cell phones worked, I would say, uh, from the I, ice. I but n- nonetheless, they did get the signal, uh, and you guys got sent out. How precarious are these kinds of rescue operations? I mean, the, probably the most famous one that we remember would be, what, decades ago in Barrie when uh, 20 or 30 ice fishermen got sent out to uh, to the waters because uh, their their ice cracked and then tear, carried them away. But how hard are these particular operations to do? You know, you take them case by case. Uh, in this particular case, we're obviously very happy that they were safely recovered. Uh, you, you, you take uh, the good with the bad. You, you know, the, every single one of them is is different uh, weather, on scene conditions, and the nature of the emergency, depending on what it is we're tasked to do. In this particular case, we were actually tasked to provide uh, top cover assistance for our own uh, Griffin helicopter out of Trenton, and it was the uh, the OPP helicopter who made it there first. So obviously, uh, uh, very good on them for uh, being so efficient and taking on that risk themselves. But it's not the kind of operation you can kind of plan from the ground. So it takes a lot of different moving parts. And you mentioned the OPP chopper that was also involved. And so you guys did the watching. They had to go down. Were they able to actually stand on the ice to get these two hikers? Or was it a situation where you drop down something, they climb in, and they're brought up? Yeah, you know, it's a, search and rescue is definitely a, a collaborative, collaborative effort. It's uh, multiple agencies involved. So we accepted our tasking from uh, JRCC to support our helicopter, mm-hmm. and uh, they were going to be planning their own uh, particular hoist. And uh, I can't really speak to uh, the particulars of uh, the procedures in which the OPP helicopter uh, does their hoisting procedures or their mechanisms or how it was done, but what I will say is it was... Uh, it was extremely efficient, and mm-hmm. uh, and I got to imagine that the 
uh, our casualties there were pretty grateful for their for their assistance. No kidding. I mean, boy, what a story they have to tell. But it really, truly could have turned into a tragedy because uh, that's frigid water. Um, had that ice broken up again, they would have been in that water and probably not able to get help. How many of these kinds of rescues are done during these seasons? And certainly we're going into that time of year when no matter how many times you tell people don't go on the ice, especially this year because we haven't had that real prolonged deep freeze. Um, but how many of these do you do each season? And, and just how um, dangerous are they to both? you know, to the rescuers, not just the people that they're rescuing? Yeah, that's, those are very good questions. Uh, of course, there's always an element of risk uh, that uh, you're going to take on when you're, when you're going out onto the ice, especially in large bodies of water. Uh, but uh, more particular to your question, uh, amongst uh, the JRCC taskings, uh, I believe the number somewhere around 10,000 incidents annually. Jeez. Uh, where, you know, either military aircraft uh, uh, Coast Guard, Coast Guard uh, Auxiliary, uh, Police, Casera, all kinds of different uh, uh, resources are, are uh, at the disposal of the JRCC. And, uh, you know, they typically save on average around 1,000 people a year and uh, assist probably around 20,000. If we, we just want to go into round numbers, that's uh, to the best of my knowledge. Well, you guys are a humble bunch, but nonetheless, um, it was a success and a good thing you guys were all part of it, and uh, we tip our hats to you. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for calling. It's uh, greatly appreciated. Much uh, much appreciated, Alex. You have a great evening. We'll take you too. We'll take the good news when we need it, and that's Major Stephen uh, McAlpine, who is part of this aircraft, uh, Commander one, uh, C-130 Hercule, which went up and helped the OPP getting these hikers off. you got to see the images of them They're just huddling in the middle of the ice. But it's true. You'll get all these people, no matter all the warnings they get every year to stay off the ice, they will go on the ice, and then they get stuck out there, and then it's guys like that and gals who have to kind of risk it to go out and get them. And luckily this time... We're not talking about a tragedy, so we'll take those good news stories when we can get them. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Apparently, Facebook just can't quit Australia. It has uh, ended its new sharing blackout against Australian users, which is good news for Canada. And Australia has been leading the way, forcing digital platforms to pay for the use of local publisher content. And today the Trudeau government just announced actually that Canada will join Australia to coordinate uh, um, a battle against web giants so that they'll pay for news content that they currently take for free to fill their platforms. And up until now, Australia had been going it alone. And they had this standoff with the digital platforms a couple of days ago. And then it struck a last-minute deal with Google, which agreed to pay a fee for news content. Then Mark Zuckerberg decided, well, I'm going to block Australian users because he doesn't think he have to pay for anything. And then in an about phase today, Zuckerberg decided that it would restart negotiations with Australia to figure out some kind of regulatory change that it will pay for some kind of content. And then late today, Canada announced that they are teaming up with Australia to mount this bigger challenge against the digital platforms so that they do, in fact, hopefully have some kind of regulation or fee to pay for the regular content that it takes. Adam Oldfield is, of course, our global news radio uh, tech expert. Uh, so Zuckerberg blinked. That's a, it's a big day. It's a big day when when Zuckerberg blinks. 
<laughs> I think they really didn't have a choice. I think they were playing a bit of a uh, a game with regards to how they would approach uh, the the merits of how they operate, and they tried to stand their ground with, well, it's a community that that the mm. natural journalistic uh, news sources are getting value based on our billion users constantly sharing and giving access to this data. However, uh, Facebook has a lot of problems right now, and it's getting attacked on many levels. They, their, their main revenue platform is, of course, advertising, uh, similar to Google. And I think Google kind of led the way to go, hey, uh, Facebook, you do your thing, but we're going to just move forward and find a solution. Facebook had to do this. They had really no option, Alex, because they're in a position right now where they're, I hate to say this, they're in a MySpace predicament, which means mm-hmm. that if they don't figure out a restructure, they may not exist. So this was a definite oh, move. I would that love was that. Oh, my God. That, that, honestly, that would make my day. I am not a fan of Facebook. I think it has outlived its purpose. I think it has turned into a cancer on society uh, because it has fueled and allowed, uh, you know, platforms to all the wrong, um, you know, voices. And, and frankly... I don't have a long a lot of time for Mark Zuckerberg, um, and so look, I get that that they might be getting the warning signs that if they don't do a deal, they may not um, exist. But it's an interesting battle because the Trudeau government had trying to been trying to figure out ways of regulating the internet, which we both know cannot be done. Um, but I do find it interesting that they've teamed up with Australia, and I suspect other countries will now jump aboard to say, hey. You can't have everything for free. You got to play some kind of license fee, something, because they have really devoured, if not cannibalized, um, you know, uh, commercial revenue uh, for media, which has just been bludgeoned over the the last couple of years. And, 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 you know, we don't get money from the federal government, as a lot of people assume we do. And I'm glad that 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 our news operation does not get that money. We rely on commercial revenue that gets taken all the time by these social media platforms who then go along and take our news content that they don't pay for. Well, and this is the point where Facebook, I think, had to come to a realization and, and Google, for that matter, that this, they, again, you said it very well, they've cannibalized the journal uh, media news uh, world, worldwide, globally. They've, they've cannibalized. They, they, they've literally t- took and took and took, ca- capitalized on it. And now there's a lot of players that don't exist. There's a lot of print media that no longer are in business, for that matter. And so all the journalistic uh, content was being shared. So it is now the right time that they did start to play nice. But I think this is a, I look at it as a strategic move from Google's side. And my, my thought under this, Alex, and I could be wrong, but Alphabet, the bigger corporate body of Google, I believe there's, a, there's an element of where they're doing this in one, uh, one piece to play nice. Obviously, they don't want the click tax or however they may want to regulate the body around it. And this is a way that they can do that amicably without putting a lot of pressure on government uh, on top of them. Um, I think using Facebook as the, okay, we're going to play nice too, is a different circumstance. But again, from that, they've got pressure from Apple right now under their privacy Mm -hmm. element. And that, I know, is putting a lot of pressure on Facebook. Facebook also is losing, I know that sounds hard to believe, but they're losing audience or or members because the younger audience just doesn't see Facebook as a platform they want 
want to be on. So if Facebook didn't apply the news or, or uh, they need to keep users, they need to keep this. And if they don't, they don't have a revenue source. They don't have a product, which is the people. So this was very, very strategic on Facebook's part for a survival means. Um, now they got to work right now in part of Facebook's world is they got to find new ways to get younger audiences to uh, to come on board uh, i don't this is this would definitely hurt them if they lost that news source right but getting uh, you know giving younger people a platform i mean it's easy to do you look at places like tiktok which i don't i do not understand um you know <laughs> if you give kids a place to go and and see themselves and be seen they will go to it they don't want to be on facebook because they don't like hanging out with mom and dad so it's not cool to them anymore um my question is you know how long is this going to take um, and how do you end up policing it, regulating it? And, and it, would it be kind of like the music industry where they, they cut royalty checks and send them out? Like, how would it work? I believe the way they're going to be positioning it right now is, again, that self-governance. As they've done with Google, Google made an agreement with the publishing uh, platforms, mm -hmm. the journalistic platforms in Australia, as they've done in other countries, Canada included for that matter. Google has even made a comment that they are supporting Canadian journalistic operations. However, uh, from this side, government is watching right now, and they're, they're, it's not been defined clearly how it's going to be rolling out or what amount is being shared with the, with the journalistic uh, uh, system. So at this point, how is it going to work or how is it going to play out is, hey, uh, they threw the gauntlet down. Australia was saying, we're going to pass a bill and this bill is going to guide and tell you what to pay. And that also factored not only what you're going to pay, how are they going to get it? Now, the way I understood it was that the money would come to the government. They would just yeah. charge a yeah. very much like a so can and they would distribute it to the channels that are regulated as journalistic bodies. So mm. that isn't going to happen now. They're letting the corporations coordinate with the media, do their obvious uh, uh, share agreements. But I believe this is still, you're right, Canada's watching closely. I'd be I'd be hard-pressed to think that there wouldn't be a law that is passed that says this is on a national news sharing environment like a Google, Amazon for that matter, all of them. If you're sharing any kind of news platform, you're going to have to pay into a body, uh, an association, and that association will then distribute evenly amongst the media sources. Yeah. Or they could just hire their own reporters. Lord knows there are enough of us, uh, you know, and, and folks out of work that... Put your, if you want to be a news source, hire your own people. Maybe then you'll actually have some accountability um, and be able to uh, police, you know, the difference between actual journalism and fake news. But they Absolutely. And that wouldn't, and that's where I think Alphabet, honestly, I think will go there. I believe they'll just end up probably acquiring, as it would be very easy to do that, taking on yeah. a media source and purchasing it for whatever millions or billions of dollars and being able to build their own news network. Yeah, well, stay tuned. It's ever-evolving, and we'll see where it uh, takes us. All right, Adam, thank you for the uh, intel. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. Have a great evening. You as well. That is Adam Oldfield joining us here. So we'll uh, stay tuned because that uh, kind of developed late in the afternoon today. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp here. I'm Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio.